thank you very much for the invitation to come along. And uh, it was really nice to come a little bit earlier and sit in the back and uh, watch people come in and see what they do. Um, you can tell a lot from, a ch from just doing that about a church. And uh, the amount of people that just came over to me and spoke to me, they didn't know who I was. I never said. <laughs> Anybody that was rude, I don't know. Um, but I came in and I sat in the back and I just watched and uh, I listened to conversations. Not listening into conversations, obviously. I'm not that bad. But um, listening to people and people coming up and speaking to me, and I thought that was brilliant. So it's lovely to be at a friendly church. There's not many of them, believe me. Um, I was uh, called to, well, I. I was asked to come and preach for a view at a church, and I'm going to tell you where it is. And uh, my wife came. Uh, my wife came in a little bit later. She had two kids, and I came in. Uh, the deacons took me to the, the back room, and we prayed and everything. And I came out, and and uh, I'd, I'd looked looked down to see my wife because I always look down to get a little bit of, you know, thing from her. And uh, she just went. <laughs> and uh, so we spoke afterwards, and she came into the church, and she'd be moved three times. With two young kids, she did. They, nobody knew who she was. Not a person knew who she was. And um, she was asked to move three times because it was somebody's seat. So it was very nice to sit in the back seat and nobody moved me. So that was lovely. <laughs> I thought, hmm, that's a friendly church. <laughs> well, it's good to be here. And um, we're going to look at a passage of scripture, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Um, Well-known passage, um, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan. Luke. Gospel, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 25. And maybe just a little bit about myself, just to, so that you know that I'm a Christian. Because um, you never know. You never know the faith mission might have people who aren't Christians. Um, uh, I, uh, I was brought up in a fishing village uh, in northeast of Scotland. Uh, my dad was a fisherman, uh, alcoholic, and a wife beater. Um, I've got the other side of the testimony. It was lovely to hear a testimony of actually somebody who had been in church and who God kept. And um, people said to me, you know, oh, you've got an amazing testimony. Well, actually, I don't think it is. I think that is an amazing testimony, that actually God can keep someone from a kid and keep them away from the rubbish that I had to, to, to be in. Um, my whole family were a bunch of idiots. Um, they were dysfunctional at best. Um, and uh, I grew up like that and became like that. And um, uh, my mum thought to herself, there must be more to life than this. So she went to church and she heard the gospel. She came home and she said that to become a Christian. Um, by that time, I was drinking really heavily and um, doing most of the things that my dad did. Uh, and... Um, <laughs> And uh, anyway, my mum came home. She said she'd become a Christian. I prayed. I'm going to pray again, and I'm going to ask Jesus to save your dad. Well, at that time, I was a total atheist. I couldn't, you know, just thought he was off her, she was off her napper. And um, so she went, um, and uh, my dad came home from the sea. Uh, a deep-sea fisherman. He was fishing out at Peterhead. And um, he came home drunk, as usual. On the Sunday, on the Saturday, there was a special meeting. My mum says, would you like to come? And my dad went to the church drunk, came home sober, told us he'd become a Christian. Amazing, amazing thing happened. A massive change in our life. I remember seeing my dad sitting, uh, kneeling down on the, beside the settee, him and my mum praying for me and my sister. And, uh, but I thought, you know, there were bunkers before, they're even worse than I. They're really off their head and uh, believing in somebody they can't see. And so I thought the best way out of this is to marry somebody. 
and uh, I'm just been trying to be as quick as I can. I, I thought, I'll, I'll marry somebody, it'll get me out of the home. That's how stupid I was. I looked at this girl, uh, I was a filleter, um, I'd came off the sea because of an accident, and uh, went and worked in this fast factory, I was a filleter then. Saw this girl and I said, ah, she'll do, happy days, I'll marry her. And um, I don't say that to any glory of my own, believe me, that was just ridiculous. But I thought, this is what happened. And uh, a few months before we were supposed to get married, um, um, God intervened and um, we split up and uh, I started going along to church. My dad's life obviously was speaking to me and uh, the, the no alcohol and no other things that he was doing. But not just that, the way that he was, a love that I'd never seen before. Uh, I remember him sitting, sitting me down and saying, you know, I love you. And I'm sorry for all the things I've ever done to you. God's changed me. Please forgive me. I didn't <laughs> for quite a long time. And uh, about two or three years after him becoming a Christian, I was about 20, 19, 20, and um, drinking quite heavily. Went to church. And a few months later, um, I got down on my knees, became a Christian. And God called, uh, God called me by his grace, saved me, uh, changed me, gave me new motives, new desires. And um, I stand here because of what Christ has done in my life. Um, amazing things happened and uh, end up here in painting. Um, listening to someone who was in Scrabster. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember my dad speaking about Scrabster um, quite a bit. I don't think he went to the church. I think he went somewhere else. Let's give a mission yeah, he went to the mission. Yeah. Um, so... Praise the Lord, God can change a person's life and um, he can change a family. I've got three kids, married to a, a girl from Northern Ireland, I'm obviously from Scotland, so sparks fly in our house. Um, she's the one that shouts, I'm very quiet, obviously. And um, uh, we've got three children, uh, all uh, become Christians, thankfully. Uh, God's been gracious. One is in New Tribes Mission. Um, and is going out next year to Thailand. Uh, my other daughter is married um, to a good Christian man, and my son Calvin um, is in university in York. Um, so that's a little bit about me, a little bit, well, actually what God has done, not about me, but what God has done in, in my life. And so I stand before you um, with very little education, uh, thick as two short planks, I left school, could hardly read or write, um, uh, still struggle, um, but um, God is God helps. Let's look at um, God's word. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road come down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. And I pray, Father, that you would help me to proclaim it in a way that is glorifying to you. That, Lord, that we might sit here glorifying you and enjoying you. Enjoying being in your presence. Enjoying all the gifts that you shower upon us. Enjoying you for who you are. You're the creator, the almighty one. The one that is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-doing. And Lord, we just sit and in awe of who you are. Help us, Lord, as we look into your word to sit in awe at who you are and what you've done and what you've allowed us to be involved in. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan um, is... Uh, I can't remember his name, John MacArthur. John MacArthur says that uh, you, you shouldn't be preaching uh, this passage about uh, doing works or anything like that. And it has been used, that passage has been used like that. He says it's all about a person who is unrighteous and who Jesus has shown his unrighteousness to and, um, and, and shown him his righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. And, and I agree with all that, um, but <laughs> I do think there is a place here in this passage where God uses to speak to us about, about doing that which is good in our society as Christians. How are we to live out our Christian life in a society that we live in? How do we live out our Christianity in a sinful world that we live in today? It's far different from the days that I lived in. Now, okay, where I came from, and I've told you a little bit about my testimony, alcohol and mess and everything was, was, was there. But years ago, there was a sort of a hold on things. That hold is gone. Those who shout loudest are heard. And the church isn't heard and isn't listened to anymore. We're laughed at. So how do we live our Christian life? How do we make a living? We have families to support. We have jobs that are ever demanding. And a world system that tells us that we need this and that for a decent life. Buy now, pay later. We have commitments that mean that we're in a rush. Today we can push a button and get our shopping delivered to our doors. Uh, I remember my uh, sister-in-law saying to me, uh, she shops at Iceland, and I thought that was the country. And she says, no, she says, I push a button on my computer and I can get Iceland to deliver things to me. When I was young, that was a while ago, not too long ago, but it was a while ago. When I was younger, I used to go up to the shop, the, the little village shop. And everybody was there, all the elderly people, the young people, they were all mixed. And we spoke together. It was usually about somebody, but we spoke together. Today... We're in Morrison's or Tesco's or if you're posh enough, you go to Sainsbury's and you push your little prams and you run about 
and you bump into people and you get angry at people because they're getting in your road and stopping you. Everybody's in a rush. And dare I say it, even the Christian church is like that. We're in a rush. I'm too important. In the olden days with the local shops where people met and we spoke, as I said. So how are we to live as care and compassionate Christians in a world like this? When the Christian church very often make excuses about how we can't really get to speak to non-Christian people. Because we're too heavenly minded. How are we to reach a world that is lost and the enemies of Christianity? Because that's your calling. If you're a Christian here this morning, your calling is to reach out to the world. The world around you. We heard this young, young man coming up and speaking about, about door to door. I remember thinking, I hate door to door. And now I love it. But I don't go myself anymore. I used to go myself and I was... It's a torture. <laughs> but when you go with somebody, you can bounce off each other. The other person doesn't need to speak. I'll go with a guy now, and I hardly speak because he's just off on a tangent. He's brilliant. So I just sat there and stand there and smile and pray. Sometimes I speak, sometimes I don't. So how do we reach this world? Well, can I suggest that the passage of Scripture about the Good Samaritan will help us? First then, the lawyer comes with a question, a good question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here's a man who is actually looking. Or is he? The lawyer gives the answer, and yes, he gives the right answer too. And Jesus says, that's right, that's correct. Fulfill the law, do it. Go on, do it. Now, if you notice, Jesus does not give him the ABC of the gospel, does he? He doesn't say, ask, believe, confess. Here's a gospel tract, by. We're very good at that in the 50s. The 50s, A, B, C. Tracked, run a mile, because you don't want to be touched. You see, there's an issue here. The man has come full of his own righteousness. He's, after all, a teacher of the law. He thinks he's okay. He thinks because he's a Jew, because he knows the Torah, because he knows all those things in the Old Testament, he thinks he's all right. And what Jesus is doing is showing him that he isn't. In other words, he cares about this man. He shows him that he cares. He wants to share the truth with him in a way that will help him and speak to him. The truth is, there's no, bad, there's no good news until we receive the bad news. And Jesus is going to deliver the bad news. However uncomfortable that might be. Verse 29 makes clear that this man does not want to know that his self-righteousness, is his own righteousness, his self-righteousness is not enough. He doesn't want to know that. In verse 29, the man tries to justify himself and say, who is my neighbor? You see, all he thinks about now is what's Jesus' definition of a neighbor? Now, if I can get that, if I can get that definition, I can tick the box. And there might be people who are sitting here today who might be saying, 
I'm listening to what he's saying. I've listened Sunday after Sunday. And I'm ticking all the boxes that the person's saying. I'm a good person. I give to charity. I do this. I come to church. I put up with the guy speaking a lot of rubbish. Anyway, and I've ticked them all. And this man has another box to tick. What's your definition of a neighbor, Jesus? Remember, he thinks he's justified because he's a Jew. He asks, who is my neighbor? Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that the rabbis taught, love your neighbor. And when they said that, when they said that they meant their elite group. But hate your enemies. Jesus taught, love your enemies, even if they are your neighbors. In other words, love everyone. Well, even them in church, they can be a pain at times, can't they? Them folk. Me. (laughs) I can be a pain, I know that. Just ask my wife. Jesus taught, love your enemies. The Jews taught, love your elite group. Love the people who are next to you. Love the people who are like you. This is when Jesus begins showing them how to inherit eternal life. He shares the gospel with them, really. Because what he knows, what he now does, is shows him that his righteousness stinks. Jesus wants to show him how he is so lost and how that he isn't right with God. I believe this is how we have to be as Christians with the people that we speak to, those who are lost, who are not Christians, who are going to lost eternity. Our brother spoke about people who are going to hell. What did Jesus do? He spent time. Remember the the woman at the the well? (laughs) He shouldn't have been there. He was a man. (laughs) But he spent time speaking to the woman. Speaking to the village. And his disciples are going nuts when they finally arrive. What are you doing here? Get out. Come on, get out. No, he spent time. And here he spends this time with this man. Now Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus is God. He knew exactly what this guy was going to do. Whether he would accept or reject. But he spent time with him, even knowing that he was going to go away, not list, not understand it. Well, he went away. We don't know whether he became a Christian or not. It doesn't seem like it. But he spent time with him, knowing. People don't go around with an E on their back. <laughs> they don't go around with a tick in their head. We have to speak to everybody. That means the drunkard. That means the homosexual. That means the pedophile. That means the Hitlers of this world. They need the gospel. Three things that Jesus points out to the man. First, the victim to exploit. He says there's a victim, a person in trouble. He was alone. He was vulnerable. Here is this story about this man who goes to a place that really is a dangerous place and he's robbed, he's left for dead, he's vulnerable. 
He was vulnerable before the thieves came. He shouldn't have been on that road. Not by himself anyway. It's a well-known road. And Jesus says there's a victim here and he's been exploited. And he says to us, there are victims around us that are being exploited. The church used to be very good at thinking about how to reach the world. It used to be very good at, you know, probation, for instance. Probation is what the, it started off as, as, as a Christian initiative. And the Christian initiative was to get the miners past the pub to their wives, to give them money so that they could live. That's what probation was all about. That's how it started. And now it's grown into what it's grown into and the mess that it is in. But it began. Schools. Church began schools. Why? To teach the kids to read and write. Science began with church. Why? Because we wanted to know. And we wanted to tell the truth about what the Bible says. (laughs) Now it's been stolen by nutters. Mr. Dawkins and his lot. It's not science. Anyway, victim to exploit. Second thing, nuisance to avoid. The priest should show mercy, compassion, love. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament to love the stranger, didn't he? The priest has no love, no compassion, no mercy for the man who walks by. He walks by, should I say. He walks by this man who's lying half dead. So here is a typical priest of the day. Outwardly, he looks godly, righteous, but he does not love God or anybody else. Why? Because he walks past. This is what Jesus is saying. A Levite comes, he does the same. The Levite were helpers for the priests, if you like. They were the bottom of the system that they had in those days. Yet he would have known the law. He knew his Bible. He he would have been told how to show mercy, to show compassion to his strangers. But he didn't. He too did not love God. For if he loved God, he would love his neighbor as himself. Would anyone show love to this man? Would anyone love God and do what is right? Then along comes a Samaritan. And he sees him as a neighbor to love and to help. And does what the Jews should have done. It's quite interesting that Jesus chose a Samaritan to speak to the Jew. (laughs) Now the Jews hated Samaritans, didn't they? It's a little bit like Scotland and England. Don't throw anything, please. I am not a Nicola Sturgeon fan. Uh, I used to be an SNP voter, but then I came down to England and saw you were all civilised. That's a joke, please. It's not a joke that you're not civilised. I mean, you are... But, you know, we, uh, you know, English people have this problem with, with, with Scottish people, and Scottish people have this problem with English people, so I've heard anyway. And, um, and so many people have said to me, you know, you Scots, you hate us English. And I said, what about the French? Do you like them? <laughs> and Yorkshire, and I used, to live, I used to live in Yorkshire. I, I, I lived there for 18 years in, in Leeds, and I was a Manchester United fan, I still am. And I used to have to go out of Leeds 
and then put my Man United top on and then go over the border to Lancaster. And uh, Lancashire, should I say. But here's this problem. And Jesus shows him the problem. A Samaritan is coming to do what you should have done. They were the hated people by the Jews. They looked at them as evil, half-breed traitors. If you want to say anything bad to a person, you call them a Samaritan. If you live in Devon, I suppose you just call them Cornish. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> are you Cornish? No, I'm married one. Oh, are you? Did you? Um, I live right on the border, so I'm neither in nor right. I don't know what part I put my scone on, jam or whatever. I do know that I put a scone on top of a scone and put as much cream and jam on as I possibly can, as you can see. Anyway, back to the sermon. Um, so in John chapter 8, verse 48, it says, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? What were they calling Jesus? They were calling him a demon-possessed Samaritan. They were the ones to the Jews, the Samaritans, who had no access to God, no access to sacrifice, no access to the temple. Again, the woman of Samaria. You go and, sp- go and w- read that and what the Samaritans did and what Jesus was speaking to them about. What is Jesus showing here? What is he revealing to this man that asks the question? He's revealing that the system that he was in and was around at that time had failed. It was bankrupt. They had no love for God. They had no love for their neighbours. They had not an ounce of love for anyone. And they had very little love for Jesus. They hated him. They showed that because they got their Romans to crucify him. And Jesus goes on to show the care that was given to this man by the Samaritan. So if you like, he's, he's telling him and now he's putting the knife in. And he's saying, look how this Samaritan's a lot better than you. His righteousness is far better than your righteousness, in other words, he's saying. You see, the first thing you see about this is he touches him. Now, the Samaritan touches somebody who's bleeding. Now, for Jesus to say that to the Jew, do you remember the Old Testament? (laughs) To touch blood or to touch anything that comes out of a body, it meant that that person was out of the community for a period of time. It meant they were unclean. So Jesus was saying to this, this man, you Jew, you, you, you teacher, the Samaritan was willing to be out of the community. He was willing to be unclean for him. And he's saying, I'd rather see the man dead than touch him. And be unclean. The more you look into the passage, the more you see how ridiculous the Jewish system had become. And this man's self righteousness. He pours oil and wine to him, he lavishes him. He puts him on his animal, takes him to a place of safety, stays with him till the next day, and then gives money for him to be looked after. Two denarii, a day's wage. Now it's estimated that the cost of a night in an inn was one thirty. I want to say twoth, one thirty-two, thirty-second, isn't it? Thirty-second, 
One thirty-second, yeah. One thirty-second of a a denarii. So he paid for at least 64 days of help for this man. Put it into today's terms. You get a travel lodge, you might pay what? What do you pay for a travel lodge? 40 pound? Is that a cheap one? Is that cheap? 50 quid? 80? Let's go 50. I'm Scottish, I ain't going that much. Let's go 50 pound a night. That's 3,200 pounds that he was going to give to this man, his enemy, to look after him. Now, I'm your friend, aren't I? And I'm Scottish. 3,200 pounds would be nice, you know. Who would give me 3,200 pounds? Now, a hand goes up. You're all from Devon. You're not from Cornwall. Cornish people are very, very generous. <laughs> Joking aside. I know you hardly know me, but I'm your friend. 3,200, what's that to you? 3,200 pounds in today's terms. That's what this man gave to the innkeeper to look after him. Isn't that love? He then says to the innkeeper, whatever you want to spend on this man, then I will repay you when I come back. So you could see the man. If it was me, I'd be living on steak and... Ultimate compassion, ultimate love, ultimate mercy, ultimate love. He gives, he gives, and he gives to his enemy, to the one who hates him. And Jesus is saying to this guy, are you as righteous as that? Because if your righteousness is not like that, then you're lost. What has Jesus shown to this man and to to the Jews that his righteousness was not like this? He had hate in his heart. He would have passed by as it wasn't one of his elite group. You see, to love, to keep the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your mind, with your strength continually, to love our neighbors continually is what is spoken about here really. Who does that? Do you continually do what the Samaritan does? Do I do what the Samaritan does? You see, this is love without boundaries. The good Samaritan's love loves his neighbor as he would love himself. Would we do that? We may do that for our wives and our kids and our very close friends, but for our enemy? About the person you don't get on with? With a person in the church that, well, actually rubs you up the wrong way. You see, if you think that coming here on a Sunday, that being nice to your wife, your husband, your kids, the people you like is enough, that God would accept you for being very nice, then you're wrong. This parable and the teaching of what Jesus is saying, if you believe that, you've missed the point. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It stinks. We'll never be good enough for God. Never. In a million years. 
If we think that we are good because we help out here and we help out there, we do this, we give a little bit of money to the church and a little bit of money to people on Red Nose Day, and the parable condemns us. Now, I'm not saying that it isn't right to give our money to church and to this and to that and to do good. and I'm not saying that. But if we are saying that if we do these things and we're accepted by God, then we're not. Jesus tells us here. At the end of the passage in verse 36, he says to the man, Are you a neighbor who loves? Who gives time, resources, finance to their enemy? <laughs> to their enemy. Everyone in your path, loving lavishly, no matter what they have done, no matter how many times they do wrong to you. Who loves like that? The man answered the question that the person who showed mercy was his neighbor. Then Jesus says, okay, go and do what he's done. You love like that, and you can have eternal life. In other words, he was saying, you do that, it's impossible, because you won't, I know. What should his response have been? Well, his response should have been the same as ours. To get down on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me, because I'm not like that. I'm a million miles away from it. My enemies... I hate them. Those who despitefully use my wife, I hate them. Those who despitefully use my husband, I hate them. The person who could have forgiven him was there. And he's here today. Our righteousness are doing does not get us a slice of heaven. In fact, it gets us eternal hell. If your righteousness is not the same as that Samaritan, then you've no hope. So who does these acts of righteousness? Only Jesus. It's only him that has done all that. And because he did the amazing act of coming to this earth like a perfect, living a perfect life of obedience, a perfect life of righteousness... Then we can have forgiveness. Then we can have peace with God. Because when Jesus died on the cross, what was he doing? He was becoming a substitute, taking our place and providing the righteousness that we don't have so that the Father would accept us. As we come to him, ask his forgiveness, repent of our sin and respond to the message that we have no righteousness of our own. To put forward to God. And we can claim that Christ's righteousness. Covers me. If we trust. If we believe in what he did. For us on the cross. It's only what Jesus did on the cross that counts. It's his death. His forgiveness that counts. Jesus speaking to that man. Showing him that he's thinking his ideas were wrong. Jesus spending time with this man. Speaking to this man. Showing them that his righteousness was not good enough. This is what this parable means. You and I are not good enough for God, only what Christ did on the cross is. And as we place our trust in what he did on the cross, in him, then we can be clothed in his righteousness. Are you? Are we clothed in his righteousness? So then, from that, 
How do we reach the world then? It's okay, it's not another sermon. I'm finished. <laughs> How do we reach the world then? How do we evangelize? Love our enemies. How did the people know that the people were different in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, because they loved one another? What else did they do? They loved others. Story after story of when the Romans took the Christians and put them up on stakes and burned them. Stephen, forgive them. (laughs) Jesus, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. What happens when you're laughed at and rebuked? What happens when you're mocked because of your Christian mate? Do you go away going... (sighs) Love our enemies. How do we as Christians live out that parable? Those that are victims to exploit around us. All people around us are a nuisance to avoid. Or are all people around us people that we love and show it even to those that badly use us? If you're a Christian here today, then the truth is you have become a Christian because of Jesus' loving you. Who you hated. Who I hated. Because if you haven't got Christ as your saviour, you're saying, I don't want you. (laughs) He put on, he put you in your right mind and gave you a life worth living. He took time with us. He took time with this man. And just as our brother was speaking right at the beginning when he was speaking about his, his life, spending time with people. How are we to live out our Christian life in a world that we live in today? Spend time with those that hate you and those that love you and show the love of Christ to them. 